Proverbs chapter 31. We'll begin reading in verse 10. Brethren, let us hear God's word. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Amen. May the Lord be pleased to bless the reading of this precious word to our hearts this evening. The infallible word of God records many questions, some of them vitally important, some of them less so. At times, men ask God questions. Abraham asked, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? The psalmist asked the Lord, what is man? that thou art mindful of him. Saul of Tarsus asked the resurrected Christ, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Each of us has to wrestle with how important those questions are. But they roll on. At times, God asks questions of men. The Lord asked Adam, Where art thou? He asked Cain, Where is Abel, 
thy brother. The Lord asked Job, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? He asked his people, Why will ye die, O house of Israel? The Lord Jesus asked his enemies, The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? At times, men and women ask questions of angels. Upon seeing a vision of four horns, Zechariah asked the angel that talked with him, What be these? Mary asked, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And at times, angels ask us questions. Upon John's amazement at the vision of the mother of harlots in the book of Revelation, the angel asked, Wherefore didst thou marvel? At times, men ask questions of other men. King David sent Abiathar and Zadok to ask the elders of Judah, Why are ye the last to bring the king back to his house? Solomon asked his son, Why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? The Jews sent priests and Levites to ask John the Baptist, Who art thou? After healing a lame man, Peter asked his fellow Israelites, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? Paul asks his readers, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? The list could go on for a very long time, couldn't it? If you've read the Scriptures... You know that from the very first chapter to the very last chapter, the Bible is full of questions. But as we come to the passage before us, we hear a question that seems at first glance to be somewhat unusual in the midst of all the others. Verse 10, Who can find a virtuous woman? Who can find a virtuous woman? Now, from this question, we take our title this evening. And as we consider this question, we want to remember four things this evening. This is simply an introduction and a very brief overview of a very rich passage. We'll be spending some weeks unfolding uh, the things found in this passage <clears throat> and going from uh, the beginning to the end of Scripture, searching out the issue of a virtuous woman and trying to answer this question. But we want to remember these four things this evening. The incalculable worth of a virtuous woman. Secondly, the inestimable blessing of a virtuous woman. Thirdly, 
the detailed description of a virtuous woman. And finally, fourthly, the praise due a virtuous woman. Amidst all the questions that we can find in Scripture, I would say that in the day in which we live, this is one of the most important. It certainly is a question that burns in the heart of men, young and old, as they began to work through the issue of marriage. And there are many that ask it in this day with a very sorrowful sound in their voice. Because on the landscape, as we saw with manhood, there don't seem to be many virtuous women, as we find set forth before us here. And there are reasons why. Not only do we want to answer this question, but we also want to ask some of the questions that arise from it. Why does the question have to be asked? We want to ask in in the weeks ahead, why are there so few virtuous women? And we'll look at a number of other questions that arise from this as well. So God being our helper, we want to begin considering this first head the incalculable worth of a virtuous woman. One of the reasons it is difficult to find a virtuous woman is is the same answer that we could give to uh, any question that has to do with rare and rich things. Wealth isn't just lying on the ground everywhere. We normally have to look for it. Gold isn't lying out in the street, is it? It isn't just uh, lying around in lumps in the backyard. We don't find diamonds. We don't find rubies. We don't find pearls without some work. It seems to be that very often the most valuable things are very, very difficult to find. There's a scarcity of these things. If we had to walk through the streets of Pensacola kicking rubies and sapphires and emeralds out of our way, it's likely that we wouldn't find them very valuable. Let's get these things out of the way. They're everywhere, like dust. It's the scarcity that seems to make things so very, very valuable. Why are there collectors Well, because some of those things that they collect are so very hard to find. Why can men, especially in a capitalistic society, ask such exorbitant, almost obscene prices for certain artifacts? It's because they're rare. And so the point ought to be clear to us this evening. The question is asked. Because a virtuous woman is rare. And we want, by God's mercy, to discover how women might attain to be virtuous women. 
Proverbs 31 is the record of a faithful and godly mother's instruction to her son, King Lemuel. If we were to read at the beginning of the chapter, we would find in verse 1 the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Now, we know virtually nothing about this king, though early writers thought that Lemuel was just another name or attribute for King Solomon. That's disputed among modern commentators. In the first nine verses of this chapter, Lemuel's mother earnestly warns him not to give his strength to sexual excess nor to drunkenness. She then charges him with the responsibility to champion justice by ruling in righteousness and by taking up the cause of the poor and needy. Then following these instructions and beginning in verse 10, she appears to have taught him a poem that extends all the way to the end of the chapter and verse 31. Now this poem is what we call an acrostic We do not see this in the English translation, but each of the 22 verses in the Hebrew begins with a consecutive letter from the Hebrew alphabet. The first verse begins with the letter Aleph, uh, the next with Beit, and so on, all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. Now, this was a teaching device. This isn't simply an interesting fact. Why is this poem set before us as an acrostic? And and why is this information put together as a poem? Well, this was a teaching device to help the student memorize something important. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We very often teach our children certain important rules or aspects of philosophy or proverbs with acrostics. We memorize the, the letters, uh, not, not the letters, the notes of music. Every good boy does fine. We remember those notes because of the the... The, the words that go along with them. We remember the letter and the words. And that's exactly what we have before us in the Hebrew. This was something to be learned. Something that was to be memorized. The emphasis, uh, this, this emphasizes uh, the necessity of teaching our children the character of a godly woman. The Lord inspired the writing of this portion of Scripture so that men and women would memorize this and know what a godly, a virtuous woman is. And I think it's very interesting from the context. This is a mother teaching her son about women. Now, of course, all of this is vitally important for women to know. 
and that's going to be our primary task, is to try to unfold some of the riches found here in the weeks ahead. But what I also want us to realize is, as you men sit and listen, uh, I trust that you will not, for the next number of weeks, find yourself going, yeah, well, you know, this is teaching for women, and what do I need to know about this? You need to know who to marry if you're not married. And God is giving you very clear instruction. And you men that are already married, you need instruction on how, biblically, to guide your wife and shape her character by the Word of God. And we need to use these things to teach our children, young women, on what they should be aiming for as a goal of their lives and what young men should be learning at the earliest ages to be looking for in a woman. Men, if, if you think that you're going to teach your sons what to look for in a wife when they're 18 or 19 or 20, you have missed it. You've already missed the most important instruction. While they are young, teach them what a godly woman is. Ladies, number one, you need to model these things by the Spirit and grace of God. But our young ladies and our young men need to know these things as early as they can and have this set clearly before their hearts and minds. So, we begin then looking at the vital question. Who can find a virtuous woman? Charles Bridges says in his blessed commentary on the Proverbs, So rare is this treasure that the challenge is given. Who can find a virtuous woman? He sees the writer inspired by the Spirit of God as actually setting forth a challenge, throwing down a gauntlet. Who can find a virtuous woman? Quite obviously, the very nature of the question is saying something very powerful to us. The question itself makes us realize and ponder they're not on every corner. Sometimes they're not on every block. Now, what do we mean by virtuous? We want to think this through. If the question is coming to us, who can find a woman like this? Well, what does it mean? The Hebrew word translated virtuous is used 244 times in the Old Testament. The basic meaning of the noun is strength. From which follow army and wealth. Who can find a woman like an army? Well, it doesn't mean that literally. <clears throat> As words progress in their meaning through history and their usage, what this word comes to signify for us is capability. 
efficiency or quality of character. It can be translated might, strength, power, able, valiant, virtuous, valor, army, as we've already said, host, forces, riches, substance, and wealth. Now, that's an amazing array of uh, definitions and usages. But I trust that you hear in that variety certain strand of, of unity. There is strength. There is character. Some translate the, the words as who can find a worthy woman? Who can find a good wife? Who can find a capable wife? Who can find a noble character? A wife of noble character. Or as is captured in the title of a, a book written a few years ago, it can be translated an excellent wife. Who can find an excellent wife? The question might be tossed back in the face of this one. Well, is this such a big deal? Is this so hard? I mean, what do you have to be to be a wife? You just have to be a woman, right? You live in the house, you take a few responsibilities. Everybody splits up what they're supposed to do. You do your part. He does his part. You're okay, right? No. Uh, the question makes very clear. And the word itself, virtuous, points to a certain character of woman that God's word is pointing us to here. Who can? It, it doesn't say who can find a woman. That's easy. Who can find a woman of relatively decent character? Well, we, we might be able to do that. But the question is, who can find an excellent woman? Who can find a virtuous, capable, strong woman? When the feminist movement got underway one of the things that it boasted of was that it was terrifying to men because the feminists promoted strong women. Well, the Bible was way ahead of the feminist movement when it came to that. We're not uh, interested in the feminist definition of strong, but the Bible is plainly telling us here that the kind of woman that a man should be seeking and the kind of woman that women should seek to be is excellent, capable, strong, able, worthy. And that would be defined by God Himself who made woman. So we will find what all of this means as this wonderful poem unfolds before us and we will see throughout the scriptures how these things work together to show us the character that is set before us as excellent. So what Lemuel's mother is teaching him is quite clear. 
a wife possessed of the virtues set forth in this poem is a woman of quality and by virtue of that quality exceedingly rare. Exceedingly rare. A man who can find a woman with this character will find something more precious than the most valuable jewels. As Matthew Henry says, quote, she must be chaste and modest, diligent, and frugal, dutiful to her husband, careful of her family, discreet in her discourse, and in the education of her children, and above all, conscientious in her duty to God. Such a one as this, if he can find her, will make him happy. Close quote. The scriptures tell us that Ruth was an excellent woman in chapter 3, verse 11. And it is interesting to discover that in the Hebrew Bible, which follows a different order for the books, the book of Ruth follows Proverbs 31. We miss that in our English Bibles. But it is the order set forth in the Hebrew Scriptures. And it is clear, at least in my thinking, that that's on purpose. We not only have the poem set before us, but then the life worked out in the book of Ruth. An excellent woman. By the way, it's very important for us to lay hold of the fact that in Hebrew, the word for woman and the word for wife are the same. So, as we read through, we want to make sure uh, that we're, <clears throat> we're understanding that, that it is a woman, in most cases, will be a wife. Now, it's not always the case. There are times when there are those, both men and women, who do not enter into the holy covenant of marriage. But in the general run of things, women will be wives. And when we say, who can find a virtuous woman, we can say in the same breath and mean, who can find an excellent and capable wife. Now, since this is our overview and our introductory study, I want to say this. My own conviction presently is that the primary reason for the rarity, the exceeding rarity, of such a woman is twofold. There are two primary reasons this question must be asked. Number one, the qualities set before us here are hardly ever taught. And that is especially true in our day. But the second one is equally, if not more tragic. 
the qualities set before us here are rarely ever sought. They are rarely taught and they are rarely sought. So there's responsibility on the part both of parents and of young women themselves. Parents, don't wait till your daughters are in their teenage years. Don't wait till they're 9, 10, and 11 year olds to start talking to them about being virtuous women. Model it and teach it to them as early as you possibly can. These things need to be instilled in our precious daughters from the very earliest ages. Because their natural inclination is not to seek this out. The fallen nature of men and women is the obstacle that always hinders their seeking after what is good and right and pure. It is interesting that this vital question is followed by a profound observation. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. As we've already mentioned, it is the rarity that makes a virtuous woman so very precious. The word price, her price, means value. Her value, her worth, is above rubies, which were considered extremely luxuriant and precious. Bridges says, no treasure is comparable to her. No treasure is comparable to her. Now, for those who have found a virtuous woman, a thankful and hearty amen arises from the heart at such a statement. But I, I, I have to tell you that many husbands cannot say, I have found a virtuous woman. And they will usually say that with a very heavy heart. George Lawson remarks, quote, The price of a virtuous woman is far above rubies and diamonds. Close, close. That which men consider most valuable in created things and jewels, a woman who has this character is compared to. Although she has no portion but her clothes, Lawson says, she will be preferred to a uh, preferred by a wise man. 
to one who is destitute of her qualifications, although she were possessed of all the riches of the East. He is a fool who marries a woman who is dressed in silk and rubies if he would refuse the same woman in everyday clothing. In other words, we must not be drawn to the external. We must be drawn ultimately to the internal. Now, as we'll point out later on, this does not throw out the idea of physical beauty. Unfortunately, throughout the history of the church, because women in their natural gifts of adornment very often fall into very grievous sin because of that, there are those who then think that the height of spirituality is simply to be as plain and dull and as unattractive as a woman can be. And then you've attained some type of spirituality. And brethren, the scriptures simply will not bear that out. As we'll even see, it is a responsibility of women to remain lovely for their husbands. And when I say that, I do not mean in comparison to modern magazines. We're talking about the beauty of which God speaks. Now, there's a warning that we need to take heed of before we go any further in this passage this evening. First of all, it's vital for us to understand at the beginning that this is the ideal woman. It is poetry setting forth a woman of the very highest ideal. This is the goal for which women should strive. But God has set forth this goal so that women will comprehend what excellence is is and because this is an ideal woman both husbands and wives should not abuse this passage now what do I mean by that well number one the word of God tells us that uh, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and they're to lead them graciously according to the word of God And unfortunately, men sometimes in their zeal, especially younger Christians, desiring their wives to be what they see set forth in Proverbs 31, expect them to become this in a few days. It doesn't work that way. They expect them to become these things overnight, a very uh, quick period of time. They become discouraged. Sometimes they even begin to look around and their eyes begin to wander because then they plaintively ask, who can find a virtuous woman? Obviously, this woman I'm married to is having real troubles getting there. Husbands, I say to you, You must not discourage your wife 
by the lofty ideals set forth in this wonderful passage. And you must neither verbally beat them into this. It doesn't work that way. It cannot work that way. These things must be constantly set before the woman of God for her heart and mind to consider prayerfully and trusting the grace of God. And while husbands should and rightfully can point to these things as goals to attain, this must never become a club by which you beat your wife. Husbands are to guide their wives by these principles with a Christ-like headship and a Christ-like love. Secondly, wives can abuse this, women can abuse this passage as well, and they can abuse it in two ways, perhaps more than this, but in at least two ways. Number one, by driving themselves by guilt in a fleshly attempt to be superwomen. Because the woman here is a superwoman. There is no question about it. To read this over and over and over, if you are not seeking God in His grace, can drive a woman to despair. Very few women could keep this schedule. And unless we realize that this is an ideal and a goal that we are working toward attaining, not one that we arrive at in a few weeks or a few months, we can fall into very great passions of guilt and discouragement. Women, by their natures and their sensitive constitutions, very often blame themselves for things that are not their own fault. They'll take the blame for others. And when they have something like this set before them regularly, they can begin a very real downward spiral that begins looking very wonderful because in their hearts they aspire to be the glorious things that they see here. There's nothing wrong with that. The only problem is this doesn't happen in a short period of time. And for many of you who were not reared in Christian homes and were older when you were converted to Christ, you will find struggling with your inborn and fallen nature a very real and a very titanic battle. Don't discourage yourself. Women with perfectionist tendencies easily fall prey to this error. They completely burn themselves out because they try to be all these things at once. On the other hand, some women see the high standard of this ideal wife and conclude that since the standard is so high, there's no real point in attempting to emulate a woman like this. They look at it, they read it, they go, forget it. What you see is what you get. 
That's the wrong attitude as well. I've heard women say this. This is not simply my overcharged male imagination. I've heard women say, well, nobody can do that. I'm just, I am what I am, that's it. You like it or you don't. That too is the wrong attitude. Very often their sentiment is usually like, uh, something like, well, I'm so far from this standard, what's the use of even trying? Nobody, nobody can live like this. And unfortunately, about the time they are in that particular pit, their husband comes along and says something like, well, why don't you do like so-and-so over here? She always seems to have it together. I mean, I hope you don't do that, but I do know men that do. The point is that God commands women to walk in harmony with His Word, just as He calls men to walk in harmony with His Word. And none of us in the flesh can reach any of the ideals or standards set before us in the infallible Word of God in our own strength. It won't happen. As with all biblical standards, left to our own strength, we will fail. But our attitude should not be, what's the use of trying? Ladies, I believe that I can say to you with a measure of confidence, your attitude should be, Lord, I'm so far from this standard that I cannot possibly attain it without your grace. I cast my all upon thee that I might walk in these things as you grant me the strength. Grant me the mercy and grace in Christ to move toward the goal of a virtuous woman. Then I think we're not only biblically realistic but we're in a place where you may truly profit from the journey as you strive for these things well let us briefly cover these last few thoughts in this introduction secondly the inestimable blessing of a virtuous woman as verse 10 says that her price her value is far above rubies above the most precious jewels. So in verse 11 it says, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. She is not only of incalculable worth, but she is an inestimable blessing. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Now, we live in a world where you can't trust many people. In fact, you'll generally find it, uh, it'll get very, 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 very narrow out there on the playing field if you take the biblical standards of who is trustworthy and who isn't. Stop and think throughout your life how many people you have put confidence in, real, real confidence, only to have that completely shattered 
by something they've said or done. And then even thinking to yourself, I'll never let that happen again. And then you do. Someone else comes into your life, you trust them, you put your confidence in them, boom, and they blow it apart. If you were to look back and begin to make the list of people that were, that you could say you could safely, confidently trust them, how long would that list be? And that if you were to say, how many people have I had confidence in that have completely let me down? How many times have I come away kicking myself saying, why did I do this? Why did I get involved? Why did I trust this person? Well, we live in a sin-cursed earth. Brethren, to find someone that we can really trust is exceedingly rare. The virtuous woman falls into that narrow, narrow, narrowest of categories. She is an inestimable blessing to her husband. Because in a world full of lies and deceit, shattered dreams, blasted confidences, a virtuous wife is someone in whom he can truly rest and trust. That's rare. Oh, that's rare. Ladies, you can go a very long way in destroying that by foolish things. We'll unfold some of those in the, the weeks ahead. But you can destroy your husband's trust in you. Or those of you who are not married. You can destroy the trust of others. The virtuous woman is valued above all rubies because she can be trusted. We heard a story just a few years ago of a husband and wife who were falling into that horrible sequence of events that ultimately ends up in a court. And things begin to come out, their angers toward one another and their animosities. And it was discovered in the midst of all these things that the wife had taken a card and had charged it completely up to the max without the, the husband's knowledge. He was devastated when he found out the unbelievable amounts that she was regularly just charging up. Whenever she'd get mad, she'd go out and buy something big. Brethren, to, to try to undo that kind of damage is a very long process. Oh, the virtuous woman can be trusted. Secondly, she's an inestimable blessing because she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She will do her husband good and not evil all the days of her life. For those of you who have husbands in the workplace, perhaps you know what it's like when they come in from, quote, a hard day. 
And the last thing I can guarantee you, the last thing a man who's been out working all day wants to walk into is a hornet's nest. The last thing he wants to walk into, tired, maybe even cast down a little bit from the things he's had to wrestle with all all day. His mind is worn out. He's weary. He may even be wounded, grieved, aggravated. You can fill in all kinds of adjectives there. And to walk in and to come in to a contentious woman is about as much fun as walking into a bear cave. The virtuous woman will do her husband good and not evil all the days of her life. Now, we want to look at this because as we unfold this in the weeks ahead, doing good sometimes means challenging what your husband is saying or doing. Can that be done? Should it be done? Sure. But there's a way to do it so that you actually are doing him good. You can use your tongue for good. Or you can make him so weary of your tongue that he'd rather go and live in the corner of the attic. Ask Solomon. It's all through the Proverbs. Well, Thirdly, there's a detailed description of the virtuous woman. And of course, it's not our purpose this evening to look through all of the details. But here are things that I simply want you to see. Look at this virtuous woman and look at the verbs that are used. We start looking at verse 13. She seeketh wool and flax. She worketh willingly. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night. She considereth a field and buyeth it. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. She layeth her hands to the spindle. She layeth her hands and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hands to the poor and she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. Her household clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. She maketh fine linen and selleth it. Delivereth girdles unto the merchant. She openeth her mouth with wisdom. And her tongue, in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household. The first thing to see here is that she is full of virtuous activity. It's summed up there in verse 27 when it says, She eateth not the bread of idleness. She's not just busy. You can get busy. You can can fritter away your time all day long on busy stuff. But if you look here and look at the verbs, and if you think about them carefully, what the picture that begins to form is a woman who thinks, a woman who plans, a woman who knows and understands and perceives things. Contrary to the feminist notion of the way Christian men want their women, ignorant, pregnant, barefoot in the kitchen, this is a sharp lady. 
She's on top of some things here. And her activities are always focused on good and wise things. She is tireless and sacrificial in her industry. This is amazing, as it is said here before us. And what is the root of all of this? Well, we find it in verse 30. A woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. This is the root of all of this holy virtuous activity. It's all rooted in the living God. And that brings us to consider her righteous character. She's not simply a sacrificing, industrious individual. She is those things because she knows the living God. It is impossible to be the virtuous woman here without knowing Jesus Christ. The virtuous woman must first be born of God's Spirit, or she can never attain to the lofty ideals here. These things will never appeal to her. Oh, certain aspects might appeal to women that are lost at at, at various levels, but never for the right reasons. Women will do all kinds of things to be loved. But all of this ultimately is service to the living God. You must be born of God's Spirit, ladies. Secondly, you must be a woman of faith. You must be a woman of faith. We read about men of faith often. But throughout the Scriptures and throughout the history of God's people, there have been women of enormous faith. And we will touch on that in the studies ahead. And you must be, and this is one of the most difficult things, you must be a woman of prayer. You must be a woman of prayer. And prayer takes some time. And the minute you have that first baby, if you do, you begin to find how difficult it is to get time even to just sit down and pray for a few moments. Ladies, how many times have you sat down just for a moment to catch your breath thinking, ah, it's quiet for just a few moments. And even as you begin to think on something spiritual or begin to hear or or, or begin to, to, to pray, you hear, Mama! Mama, look, Mama, Mama. Mama. It's very difficult. But to be a virtuous woman, you need to know your God and you need to spend time with Him in prayer. This is why we spent so much time talking to the men about making sure that there is family worship in the home and that a wise husband gives his wife and makes sure there's time for her to seek the Lord. And ultimately, you must seek a biblical man. Now, 
Again, I will frame all that I'm going to be saying with the fact that a woman may be a wife or she may be single. And these things, of course, don't all apply the same, depending on whether you are married or single. But ultimately, the heart of all of these things holds together from the same root. You must know the the living God. Finally, the last thing to say, as our brief overview concludes, is that verse 30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The due praise of a virtuous woman. Notice that according to God's word, in verse 28, her children arise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praiseth her. Verse 31, let her own works praise her in the gates. A woman should be properly, biblically, lovingly, and frequently praised. Men, this is to you. You need to praise and encourage your wife. You need to rise up and thank her for her labors as she strives to be these things, as she lives with you daily. Children and husband, blessing and praising a woman. Do we mean in a worshipful sense? Well, of course not. But we do mean with a sincere an intense and a passionate sense. Men, I trust that you will learn a great deal about women as we study them in the Scriptures. But you have here before you something very clear. And I've never once, and I'm sure the exception is out there, I've never once counseled a man and wife having troubles where the man was in frequent, constant, passionate praise of his wife. I'm sure the exception's out there, but I haven't bumped into them yet. So, there's much for us to consider here. This is going to be a very full study, a very challenging one, and I trust it will be one that all of you sisters profit from. So pray as we continue these studies. And may God in His mercy take His Word and illumine all of us that we might become the men and the women that He's called us to be. Let's pray. O Father in Heaven, the living Christ died to restore women to being virtuous. And oh, how we pray that the beloved sisters here will be blessed of Thee, strengthened of Thee, encouraged, reproved, rebuked, comforted, edified as we look through Thy Word. And we plead, Holy Spirit, that Thou wouldst come and deal with us all, that we might bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 
This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.